Christ of the book. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 7 tells us plainly that, that in the volume of the book, it's written of me. Christ Jesus is the theme of the scriptures from uh, Genesis to Revelation. He is the reason. He is the purpose. He is the theme of the scriptures. In Genesis, he's creator. In Exodus, he's deliverer. In Leviticus, he's lawgiver. All the way through, he is the theme of the scriptures. And we worship him. Our, our goal, our objective, our purpose here at Bible Fellowship is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about two other books of the Bible. This morning, I want us to get two. I want us to talk about Haggai, and I want us to talk about Zechariah as we near the end of, of the Old Testament. Now, if you've been studying along with us, you realize that, that we missed uh, Psalms, and we missed Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Next week, we're going to finish Malachi. I wish we had time to get to Malachi today because Malachi really fits in with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those were the final three prophets that prophesied to the nation of Judah after they returned to the Promised Land after 70 years of captivity. You had those three prophets just as you had Daniel and Ezekiel and Joel and Obadiah. They were uh, prophets during the captivity. Then you had those that were the prophets after the people returned under Zerubbabel, under Ezra. Uh, you had these, these prophets. In Haggai, Christ is the desire of all nations. The desire of all nations. What a tremendous title that is. And folks, that's exactly who he is. He is the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he is king over all. Uh, and that's how Zechariah presents Christ in his book. He shows, he points out where Christ is to be king over all. And the scripture and the prophecies that they detail are glorious are phenomenal. In Haggai, we have him sort of as the bad cop. In Haggai, he comes along and he tells the people of Israel, you get this temple built. Zechariah, he comes along and pretty much prophesying at the same time, he comes along and he he's more of the good cop. He wants to Make sure they understand that, oh, the glories, the wonders, the greatness, the excitement of when Christ returns. But build this temple. Get his house finished. Because we know from Nehemiah that they came back. They got under Nehemiah, they got the walls built. Under Nehemiah, they started building their houses back. Under Nehemiah, they even had time to uh, put paneling in the house, and they got their houses where they were, they were pretty comfortable. And it's through Haggai and Zechariah that the Lord says, build my house. You're, you've got your houses, you're content, 
you build my house, and we're going to tell you why that was so important. But to kind of give you a setting, and with Malachi next week, we are going to hit Malachi next week. In, in Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. And in Malachi, it's the very end of that portion of the Old Testament. And you do realize that Old Testament, New Testament are man-made divisions. Because after Malachi, there's 400 years, 400 years before uh, Christ is born. As a matter of fact, Galatians 4.4 tells us, in the fullness of time, Christ, the fullness of time was come. God sent forth His Son, the Lord Jesus, made of the woman, made under the law. In the fullness of time. What fullness of time? Well, when we get to Malachi, we're going to tie that to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, uh, remember the Lord showed him that there's going to be 490 years from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to the cutting off of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, uh, uh, was going to be 483 years. And then there's Daniel's 70th week, that tribulation period. So when you follow all of that through, you get to Malachi, and it's 400 years exactly from the time Mal Malachi shuts off to the time the Lord Jesus comes, when he's born in a manger, when, he, when God incarnate comes to earth. It's a fascinating study, and we're going to be looking, that, looking at that next, next Sunday. Uh, but Malachi is the messenger of the covenant. We're going to finish up with that portion, then we're going to go back and take Psalms. But we wanted to put the prophets uh, and, and locate them during First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and make sure we understood where all these prophets fit and what took place in the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and what happened, what caused that, that separation. So we're going we're gonna to finish up with that next Sunday as we look at Malachi. But today we're going to look at the desire of all nations and we're going to look at the one under Zechariah, the king overall, the king overall, and he's going to be exactly that. So here's the setting. Judah had returned after 70 years in captivity back to the land. The walls have been rebuilt. The houses are reconstructed. The foundation of the temple had been laid. But that was all that had been done. The house of God had not been rebuilt. Ezra and Zerubbabel, they were sent back by Cyrus for that purpose was to rebuild the house of God, just like the prophet Jeremiah had said. So God's word was at stake. That's one thing we need to remember. God's word was at stake when he sent them back. So they come back to rebuild the temple. They got the foundation laid, and they run into just some trouble. They run into someone who was hindering them. Now, we know from Zechariah just exactly who it was that was hindering them. It was Satan himself, and we're going to look at that in a second. It was Satan that was hindering them from getting that done. But it was also the Samaritans. That if you ever wondered, why did, why did the Jews hate the Samaritans so much? What was, what was the animosity that was there? Well, it was the Samaritans, literally, that Satan used to thwart the purpose of God when they came back to rebuild 
the temple, even to rebuild the walls. They were there causing the difficulty. And, and so the Jews that returned, they never forgot that in that 400 years. They looked at the Samaritans as part of the enemy. They never looked at them as, as part of the nation. So basically, Haggai comes along, and he says to those 42, almost 43,000 that had come back, he tells them, get to work. Get to work. And they're saying, yeah, but the government has said, the king, uh, he has told us we can't do it. And Haggai and Zechariah said, uh-uh, do it. Start. And that's exactly what happened. Look at Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. Now, Ezra chapter 4, it fits in with this haggai Zechariah time. Even though it's quite a bit further, closer to the front, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that's all fits in with this same time period. Look at Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They had been sent there to do it, and they let just a little bit of difficulty cause them to lay their tools down and go, okay, we won't do this. Look at Ezra chapter 5, 1. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even to them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadok, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them encouraging them, letting them know this is of God. Then the, the, the king and their enemies, those that, that had caused them difficulty and hindered them to begin with, they haven't gone anywhere. And they come and they go, no, no, you can't do this. Who told you you could do this? And the prophet said, God, hey, you got a problem, take it up with him. That's a paraphrase. And so they tried to get them to stop, but Zerubbabel, and Ezra, they continued. They continued. Look, look at Zechariah 4. Now you've got to go back toward the end. Again, the same time period. Look at Zechariah chapter 4. Chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 6. Verse 12. And speaking to him, saying, Thus speak the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be 
between them both. It's Zechariah that we hear about. We understand that Christ Jesus is that branch. He's the one that's going to establish it. He's the one, Zechariah is the one that motivates them. Zechariah is the one that tells them to get this going. Look at Zechariah 4, chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel hath laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. The fact that the house was to be built, the temple was to be built at this time, was indication that the Lord was with them. The Lord was going to bless them. That it's because of God's hand and the fulfillment of His word that they were back in the land and God had a purpose. God had a plan for them. So we, we learn that in Haggai and in Zechariah. They had stopped, but that wasn't the purpose of God. God's purpose was to get it done. Be a testimony. Obey me. We need to listen to God rather than man, basically was the idea behind what these two prophets were telling them. Look at Ezra chapter 6. Talk about their Haggai and Zechariah's influence. Look at Ezra chapter 6. Look at verse 14. Ezra Chapter 6, and the elders of the Jews builded, and they, prophet, they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, and they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. God said, do it. The men of God came and told them, you've got to get this done. This is the purpose of God. This is God's will. Because see, what it did is it proved God is a faithful God, that His Word will always be fulfilled, that you can count on God to be faithful to His Word. And what God had sent them to do, He was going to accomplish through them. You talk about influence. Here was Haggai coming on the scene, telling them, hey guys, get together. we got to get this temple built. And emphasizing the desire of all nations. See, both of them were going to accentuate who the true Messiah will be. Haggai labels him the desire of all nations. Zechariah, he's going to come along. His emphasis is going to be the coming Messiah also. Get the temple built. Now, we know now, looking back, that it was 400 years. Actually, they, they should have realized it was going to be 400 years. Because of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's talking about from the going forth of the commandment to do what they were doing to the Messiah is going to be cut off or killed was going to be 483 years. Daniel, at the beginning of the captivity, had prophesied that. So they understood that. So they knew, build the temple. Let's get prepared. Let's get ready for the one who's going to come, who's going to be the desire of all nations. 
Let's be prepared for the one that's going to be king over all the earth and prepare for that. See, their message was so absolutely important to these folks. Now turn to Haggai. Something I want us to see in both Haggai and Zechariah. In Haggai, five different times in this short book, two chapters, well, before, two chapters, five times Haggai tells Israel, Judah, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Consider your ways. Think about this. And he emphasized how important that their obedience, their testimony was, and what they were exercising was a sign of faith. That's what it was all about. Why was getting the temple built so important? Why was God raising up these prophets in order to tell them to get, get it built? Well, verse 7 of Haggai 1, verse 7 Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, what had he just said prior to that? Look at verse 2 of Haggai 1. Thus speaking, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So that was going on with all those who had gathered. It's not time yet. Making excuses. It's not time yet. But this is Haggai. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O you that dwell in your paneled houses, your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? They were saying, It's it's not time. Just be patient. It's not time. The Lord sends Haggai to say, Is it time for you to live in your place, but God's house is still a waste, get the job done. Then listen to what Haggai tells them. Is it time for you or you to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much. He's kind of give them a reason why their toils and troubles just doesn't seem quite to end. Boy, this is great insight, folks. You have sown much, but you bring in a little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You're clothed, but there's none warm. And he that earns wages, he earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You're not accomplishing anything. You're not getting the things done. Why? Because God is not your priority. God is not. God has brought you here. He's instructed you. And to build this house, number one, is a sign of faith. Number one, it is a sign that you believe in the true God of heaven. Number two, it's an indication, Lord, we want you living among us. We want you here. We want you to return. God's going to tell him in Zechariah, don't, don't, don't worry about that. I'm back. I'm back. What's interesting, though, is the house that the temple they're going to build there, 
which is later going to become Herod's, the same, the temple that Herod adds to later on. The Shekinah glory of God never returns. The Ark of the Covenant is never placed there. The Umim and the Thumim, those two stones that the priest was to get an answer from God by asking a question and whichever stone, yes, no, they never entered back. They never were used again in that temple. See, that temple was lacking. But the temple that Haggai and Zechariah both are going to talk about and promise is the temple that is going to be more glorious than anything they've ever seen. Which is, by the way, is the temple that Ezekiel, even before this, has said, that's coming. So this, this temple, and even, even Haggai talks to them about, you know, you, those of you who were here before the destruction and went into captivity, uh, will you kind of tell everybody that this temple that we're building here it's, it's not nearly as, as glorious. It's not nearly as nice as the other temple. But, but the temple that's coming, oh, it's going to be something else. And what, both what Haggai and Zechariah imply is it's going to be because God himself, the true Messiah, is going to reign and rule over all the earth. He's going to be the one who rules in that temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem. The temple that Ezekiel talks about during the millennial kingdom. Because this temple that they're working on, keep this in mind. You had the tabernacle that was in the wilderness that they worshipped in. And the, and the Shekinah glory of God filled that. Then you had Solomon's temple. Oh, that was glorious. And the Shekinah of glory of God rested there, uh, ruled from there. And it was, it was an unbelievable temple in its structure and its purpose and how God used it. That one was destroyed. That's the one that's needing to be rebuilt. This is going to be Ezra and Zerubbabel's temple and uh, Herod's temple. The one that Herod's going to add to. The temple they're building now is going to be the temple that the Lord Jesus, during his earthly ministry, is going to come and he is going to participate in that. That's, that's going to be active when Christ comes. That's the temple that Titus is going to come along and destroy. But there's going to be another temple. And as a matter of fact, folks, they're talking about building that other temple today. There are things going on right now in Israel moving in the direction to rebuild that, that temple. The temple that Ezekiel describes. All of that's coming together. And just as surely as the things that Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi and all the other prophets talked about when it came to the temple happened what God has said from His Word is going to happen during the tribulation period, which we're not going to be here for. Amen? That's going to be the temple that is in operation during the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. Just as surely as the others happen, that one is going to happen. But the reason that God is moving on Haggai to move on the people 
is because God desired his people to be obedient and to have a testimony that they believed in him. Look at Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. Verse 3 is when Haggai asked that question. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as nothing? He's referring to Solomon's temple. What was being built to this point partially. Ask these, ask these older guys, is this any comparison? And they go, no, it's not. Look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Joshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, fear you not. That's God's way of saying, I'm still with you. You're still my children. I still love you. My plan and purpose for you, Israel, is not going to be thwarted. I will carry it out. That was what God was getting across. Told him, don't fear, because there was much fear at this time. There was much opposition at this time. Speaking through these prophets, and we just read how it's through their voice and their instruction that he gave the people that spirit to rise up and to build. Verse 6, chapter 2. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once in a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That's quoted in Hebrews 12. It's also quoted in Joel 3, verse 16. So Haggai is actually quoting what Joel had talked about, talking about here's what's coming. God is going to shake the nations. There's going to be a tribulation period. There's going to be a time of distress. There's going to be a time of trouble. We know that it's, uh, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. We know from Daniel 12. We know from Christ in Matthew 24 that there's going to be a time such of, of, of persecution, of tribulation, such as the world has never seen. God is saying, I'm going to shake these nations. For I will shake all nations. Boy, that's bad news. Ooh, that's, that's not something pleasant to think about, is it? And the desire of all nations shall come. Boy, that's, that's the promise. That's the promise that the nation of Israel cling to is their promised Messiah and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In Isaiah 9, 6, that's who Christ is referred to, the Messiah. The government's going to be upon his shoulder. He's going to be the Prince of Peace. All of those promises God is saying here in Haggai, after they've come back, I'm going to fulfill. 
I haven't forgotten those promises. I've not backed away from those promises. I will do those things. Now, just so you know, we're in an intermission. We're in the dispensation of the grace of God. God has set Israel aside temporarily. Right now, as he's working through the church, the body of Christ, he's not working through nations. He's not working through Israel. He's working through the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ made up of believing Jew, believing Gentile. God is not dealing with nations. He's dealing with a body. You're part of that body. So we're in that intermission before the tribulation. All of these things start taking place. Daniel's 70th week clicks back in. It starts back up. And there comes the tribulation. Seven years, and then Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. And all of these prophecies concerning Israel are going to come to pass. Right now, Israel is blinded temporarily. They're blinded until the time of the Gentiles become in. Right now is the day of salvation. God is offering great salvation by grace through faith. And the call that goes out is by faith, trust in the finished work of Christ Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is that the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's the salvation message. And He's called us all to be ministers of that message, the word of reconciliation. That's a whole other sermon, but it's a good one. The glory of this latter house shall be talking about the, the house that Ezekiel prophesied. It's going to be much better. Verse 15 of chapter 2, And now I pray you consider from this day and upward. Here's again, consider your ways. Verse 18, Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month and from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, hath not been brought forth. From this day will I bless you, encouraging them to get it, to get it done. Haggai finishes talking about Zerubbabel being a type of Christ. During this time you had Zerubbabel as the governor, as the ruler. You had Joshua as the high priest. And together they were bringing about that unification that the Messiah, the kingly priest, is going to do in his day. And he's coming, folks. He's coming. He's coming, first of all, for his church, the body. Then he's going to come and establish his throne on earth, just as God's Word says. Haggai's sidekick, if you will, younger sidekick, but his sidekick was Zechariah. And Zechariah was right alongside of him, encouraging the people, preaching the same message, but maybe just a little bit kinder tone of we've got to get this done. Oh, it's going to be so glorious. It's going to be so wonderful. In Zechariah, we learned that they've, they've returned back to the land, the captivity is over. But it's in Zechariah that we find out that the Messiah is going to be termed the righteous branch. It's in Zechariah that we understand that the Messiah is to be a king and priest. 
It's in Zechariah where we learn that he's going to be rejected for 30 pieces of silver. That was never told until it's the Holy Spirit moves on Zechariah to share that, that it's going to be with 30 pieces of silver. It's not until we get to Zechariah that the picture of Christ Jesus coming, Jesus of Nazareth, lowly, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, and the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's not until Zechariah that he paints the picture of all these glorious truths and basically telling the people, get excited, get excited. One of the things that I think it's important to understand about Zechariah is he's preaching the word. He is letting them have it graciously, but he's letting them have it. And he's telling them new truths and things by faith they're accepting and believing about the Messiah. But if you think being a prophet is easy, it was not. As a matter of fact, we know from Matthew 23, 33, Matthew 23, 33, that this Zechariah is going to be killed by these same people he's preaching to. He, he's going to be killed between the altar and the temple. So it's already built. Their preaching has been done. Uh, verse 33, You serpent, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barchaeus, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That's this Zechariah. He got them to build the temple. They started the practice, the practices. They started back up. The sacrifices started back up. Everything was going according to the way God had planned for it to go. But at some point, Zechariah is going to be killed. If that didn't give you an indication of the type of people these were, and so Malachi is the one that's going to come along, and he's going to recognize how Israel is just falling right back into the same old routine. They're, they're doing some of the same things that they were doing prior, and it's Malachi who comes back on the scene, or comes on the scene, and boy, does he give them a stern warning. We're going to look at that next week. But here was Zechariah encouraging the people and he loses his life over it. Basically, what Zechariah tells the people, and I'm thinking this might have something to do with anger them, angering them, he says, don't be like your fathers. They didn't listen to the prophets either. Don't be like them, indicating that they were being like them. Now, I don't know if that's what ticked them off. I don't know if that's what made them mad. But see, when you're preaching God's Word and you're standing on God's Word and you're believing God's Word, the world's going to get angry with you. The world's not going to desire to hear truth when their heart is so far from them. Remember, Christ came 400 years later. Christ is going to come and these same vipers, these same priests, these same Sadducees, Pharisees, religious leaders... Christ is going to come to them and say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Boy, that describes these people here too. It's the same, it's the same thing. You honor me with your lips, 
but your heart is far from me. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. You read through chapter 3 and, and what God's remedy was for that, and how it's going to be my servant, the branch, and all that God has planned for it. And part of this scripture you find in Revelation 5, where it talks about a description of Christ Jesus, should make us excited. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, speaking to him, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of this, his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He's certainly going to sit there during the millennial kingdom, ruling and reigning. Chapter 7 is God's call to Israel, to Judah, to repent and to believe. I think it's interesting, verse 13, well, verse 12, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried, that they, as the Lord cried, by via the prophets, that they would not hear. So they cried, I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, and no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. But chapter 8 Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion, and with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Here is the good news to Israel. I am returned unto you, Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, promises concerning the tribulation period. And there's so much more to Zechariah. Chapter 8, verse 13, that we may just have to cover next week with Malachi. Because there's stuff here I just do not want to overlook. That we need to hear from this prophet concerning God's plans for the nation of Israel. Plans that will be carried out, that haven't been, but God's word is at stake. Verse 13 of chapter 8. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, or among Gentiles, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. That's a promise to the nation of Israel. I got news for you. Up until this time, this date, Israel has not been a blessing. They've not been a blessing, but they're going to be because God's word's at stake. There is a sin condition related to Israel, but the promise in Zechariah is that God is going to furnish the answer who is the Messiah. Look at verse 23 of chapter 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, 
even take hold the hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is Zechariah telling the people who just returned from captivity, This is God's plan for you. It hasn't happened, but folks, it's going to happen. And you've probably already figured this out. It's closer today to happening than it was back then when it was uttered. And how much closer are we to that moment, to that time? I'm going to stop there this morning. And we'll pick back up there next Sunday. And we're going to bring Zechariah. Because Zechariah really does need to be with Haggai and, and Zechariah. They all fit together with God's message with God's promise, God's plan, but also God's judgment is coming. See, and that's what we need to be made aware of. God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But He hates sin. And the good news is He's made a remedy for that sin by becoming God in the flesh, dying for our sins, taking our place, becoming sin for us, even though He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a great trade. He became sin. We are made righteous in Him. See, that's, that's a, a God who loves us. He had His plan, His program for Israel. He's still going to carry that out. But before the foundation of the world, before any of that was planned out by God, before any of that was detailed, or at least revealed by God, nothing's ever occurred to God. But He had a plan, a mystery, a program to offer salvation, even before the fall, to all who believe. And put their faith in Christ. Wow. What a loving God. Yeah, He's a God of wrath. He is a God of judgment. But boy, in this day of salvation, this day of grace, He offers salvation. And frankly, it is just idiotic not to, by faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it, I don't understand it. Other than knowing that Satan blinds the mind of those that believe not. We have an enemy. Just as Satan, in, uh, just as Satan uh, hindered back then, he hinders today. Let's people hear the gospel and believe. Here's the good news. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Here's the good news is that that. The gospel, what we proclaim, is the power of God unto salvation. And there's nothing that Satan can do that can thwart that power. That's why I tell you that God blesses His Word. God uses His Word. God uses the good news of His grace, His mercy. He uses the gospel, the fact that Christ died, was buried, and rose again to change the hearts of individuals. That's the message that people hear. Now, to those that perish, it's foolishness. But see, the gospel is still the power of God into salvation. And when they hear, the Holy Spirit just moves on their heart. 
then by faith they believe. I hope this morning that every single one of you understand the gospel. You understand the sacrifice that God himself went through in order to purchase your redemption. Know this, then we'll be done. And maybe I'm splitting hairs. I don't know. Maybe I'm making more to do with this than I should. But I want you to know that there's not a single one of you who's been pardoned. See, pardon indicates that God looks at you and goes, you're so cute, you're so nice. I'm just going to, ju- okay, I'm just going to forgive you. That's what pardon, pardon acknowledges that this person did the crime. They're a sinner, but we're, the, the governor or the president is just going to issue a pardon. No one paid the debt. No one paid the price. You're just forgiven. Not a single person has just been forgiven. Know this. Your debt was paid. As the blood flowed from Calvary, your debt was paid. You weren't just pardoned. Christ became your substitute. He died in your place. And salvation is by faith accepting that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. May we continue to stand for your word, the truth of your word. And Father, we just pray now that you will dismiss us. Father, that we will leave this building understanding that we're entering the mission field. And Father, may we boldly share with the lost world that Jesus saves. Father, I pray for every family, for every individual who's here this morning. I thank you for each and every person who's come to worship you here. Father, bless their homes. If there's anyone here, Father, who has never by faith trusted, may this be the day that they become that new creation in Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.